0: question that we don't ask ourselves often enough, probably. <laughs> and uh, just to, to acknowledge that we, we live in a culture, particularly in America, it's a, it's a self-professed capitalist culture, so <laughs> knowing when well enough is enough is not really encouraged. <laughs> it does not does not support the economy. But. Uh, the, the Buddha's teaching is very much pointing us to notice when we have enough and have a sense of um, appreciation and uh, gratitude for, for what we have. So it's, it's very easy in the way that most of us have been conditioned you know, we, we look for what's missing, what's wrong, what could be better, and, and when we do that, when we, we meet the world. In, with that kind of mindset then we live in a state of constant dissatisfaction, of constant lack and uh, as the tutor was saying earlier on that, that endless search for something that will fulfill us and I think this is uh, you know, that is the basis of the spiritual path actually that we, we have that, we've, we discover that sense of lack inside and most of us try various means to fill it before we we come onto the spiritual path. There are some very fortunate beings who don't have to go the messy route (laughs) and can go straight to the spiritual practice, but for most of us, you know, there's uh, attempts in many ways to find satisfaction and fulfilment in this material realm. And we can find that for short periods of time. We can experience gratification and, and uh, contentment and, and uh, a sense of, um, yeah, sort of fulfilment for short periods of time through the material world through the sense world if we couldn't we wouldn't keep looking for it you know. but then we find it for a while and then it changes so we, we have uh, a wonderful meal there will be a meal later on and have a wonderful meal, and then we feel satisfied and grateful and, and happy and contented. And then maybe this evening or maybe tomorrow we start to feel hungry and, and we want to eat something. And so it was gratifying, it was nourishing, it was right at that time, and then life goes on and the body consumes that and it needs something else. So this is how we're built, you know, these bodies are built that way. I just had a nice glass of water. It quenched my thirst, and then I filled the cup again because I know I'm going to get thirsty again. So this is how our bodies are built. We uh, they they need constant. The bodies needs constant care. Needs to be exercised. Needs water. Needs food. Needs bread. Needs kindness. Attention. This is how this is how we're made. So uh, if we don't have those basic needs, we, we kind of we don't have enough, and then we're always struggling and, and we're stressed. But we live in a culture that, where the expectations are very high. So we've just moved into a house out in Placerville, it's a very beautiful house. It was built by a family who lived there before. And as, we, as we're there, as I, I notice each day, we've just been there for just short of a week, but each day, I noticed something more about the house the, the, and the rooms seem to get a little bigger every day mm-hmm. <laughs> It's very nice and uh, and I kind of get a feel for how the the man who designed it, what he had in mind is kind of spacious, a lot of light, very um careful to to that the you know in the in the hot summers that the sun isn't coming into the rooms, but you still get the light and in the winters the sun comes in so you get the warmth been very well, very carefully designed by this person who lived there and then also I'm getting a feel for how it goes, so we're using it as a monastery and, and I'm thinking of how it would be to live in it as a family house and um, so I'm, I'm staying in a little room off the master bedroom which is, not so little a room but a room off the master bedroom which was called the sunroom and then the master bedroom is waiting for other people to come, other nuns to come and use it and then there's two other rooms with a bathroom upstairs. I was looking at this space, and uh, I was thinking, you know, this house is probably similar to how it would have been to live in a palace, you know, say, a couple of thousand years ago. This would be called a palace. And uh, back then, you would have had, uh, you know, entertainers come, physical people coming to entertain. Now you can switch on your massive TV screen, or you can, uh, you know, look on your phone, or there's all these ways that we can get instant entertainment. So it's like um, this this uh, level of exp- you know, this, this level of comfort and entertainment and relaxation, support is 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 very high now. And so, and then even when we have all that. There can still be a sense of well, there's something lacking. It's not enough. So whether we, you know, we live in a, a simple way or whether we have very comfortable um, living conditions, the question remains the same. Really, when is enough enough? And how can we best make use of what we have? So within this realm of samsara, this realm of endless becoming it is an imperfect realm. So if we're looking for perfection in a realm that is inherently imperfect, either we drive ourselves crazy or we maybe go and live with other people who are crazy who believe they're perfect. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it cannot be found in the material world. and. You know, it's it's also this is a very highly idealistic culture. The ideals are very high in America, and so we often we're looking for perfection. We're looking for the best, and you know it just keeps us. It's it's a drivenness. It keeps us drivenness, always looking for more, for better, to be the best, or to give the best, or to have the best. All of those things. And so, um, you know, one of the the kind of messages that the Buddha gave, you know, he was perfected as a human being. He was a he was a what you could say a perfect human being. He was perfected in his realization and his compassion and wisdom. And yet he lived a, a very simple life. Wore the robes. Walked barefoot around India. You know, slept under under trees and in huts and sometimes in people's palaces or in pleasure gardens, all kinds of he was kind of open to all of it. So he was perfected inside and he wasn't looking for perfection outside. So this is the way we need to turn, to turn our attention from always looking outside for the right thing that's going to just do it for us, the right thing or the right relationship or the right house or the right job or the right pet or whatever, the right outfit, or whatever it is that's going to do it for us and make us eternally happy and to turn inward and see, how can I transform this? How can I transform what's here in my own heart and mind? So that I can be part of bringing more goodness, beauty, compassion, wisdom, kindness into the world. Because that's, uh, that's the only place the perfection can lie, really, in how we are meeting our experience, how we are meeting This imperfect world. And even if we find the perfect relationship, you know, maybe perfect for a while, and then we start to see the flaws in the other person, probably see them before we see the flaws in ourselves. And then that relationship, you know, if if we're looking for it to be the, the perfect answer, then we're disappointed. But if we're using it for practice, if we're using it as a means to learn about our own limitations, irritations, desires, then, uh, then, it's, then it is the perfect relationship. It can be. So it's, it's, it's what we, how we use, how we meet life, how we use our experience, not what we get, what we have. And we all have these six senses. We usually learn about the five senses, but in Buddhism we speak about the six senses the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue, the body, and mind. So, mind being the sixth sense. That's not the sixth sense in terms of uh, esoteric, sixth sense, but just that it is one of our senses. And uh, you know. There, there can be a lot of greed, a lot of craving in relation to our senses. Different people have different leanings. You know, some people love to see beautiful things. They can't see enough of beautiful things. Or maybe love to listen to, to, to lovely sounds or have, you know, enjoy great ideas. There's all these different ways. And it's not that any of these are bad or wrong, they're, they're, but they are just the senses just to know them for what they are, this is just a sense. So we can enjoy something beautiful, visually beautiful and really take that in. I felt like when coming into this space here, like, oh, and I just went to that little church next door, I got a look in there. Went in with somebody who's caretaking and enjoying the beauty of that place and the care that's been, gone into making the windows and the carving of wooden pews and all of this. And but it's a, an enjoyment in the moment, it's not it like there's no grasp, it doesn't have to be grasped. And likewise, you know, might see something really ugly, uh, offensive to the eye. And then just to know that for what it is, so can we be with the beautiful and the ugly, both? And have a sense of evenness. And it's not that we can't tell the difference, but there's an evenness of heart and we're not rejecting and repulsed by what is ugly and we're not grabbing hold of and holding on to what is beautiful because the world is made up of all of it we cannot have what is only beautiful and good and lovely we have to take all of it, we have to take the rough with the smooth we have to take the the ugly with the beautiful we have to take the pain with the pleasure we can't experience only pleasure without pain but also when we're experiencing pain, we mustn't forget that there will be moments of pleasure too. And there might even be in other parts of our body a sense of ease, but our mind is locked onto the pain so we forget. So it's learning this balance of taking in what is beautiful, what is not beautiful, what is pleasing, what is what is pleasant, and what is unpleasant. What is uh, Comfortable and what is uncomfortable all of it this is the human experience so as long as we're at odds with that we're kind of going round and round in circles we're endlessly looking for something that we can't find so we uh, develop these tools of, of mindfulness awareness holding steady holding steady with uh, times that are challenging with times that are really abundant and exalted and wonderful. It's like having a sense of steadiness with all of it and knowing that all of it is changing. And that doesn't mean that we reject it. This is the beauty of it. It's not Sometimes we think when we, when we know everything's impermanent, we just, it's just nothing matters anymore. We just reject all of it. It's all pointless, impermanent. But it's not like that. It's actually the opposite. When we really see the impermanence, the transience of our experience, it becomes so precious. We don't want to be anywhere else but here, now. Because this is it. This is our life. This is, this is it. It's happening now. It's this. And it's how we meet this. How are we meet in this. So again, you know, we come from this culture of uh, high expectations. So we can do that with our practice too we can think, okay, you know it's all about how I meet the moment, so I should at every moment meet it with openness and presence and kindness, and and then we can't (laughs) because, you know our habits are too strong so it's also, it's like giving us, it's like a training you know, we're giving ourselves space we're setting up the intention we're moving towards that intention we're putting the right conditions in place to support that in our life and step by step working towards transforming the mind of uh, really simply the, of, the, the qualities of greed of aversion and of confusion and it's a lifetime's work so not to be in a hurry but just moment by moment recognizing I had enough and I want more and it might be that's all you can do, and then you get more, and you have more. That might be as much as you can do, I want more. Or you might be able to say, I want more, and then just stay with that feeling of wanting, wanting, wanting. While, while there is enough. where you recognise, oh actually, there is enough, I've had enough. And I want more. And there is this craving. And as you, if you can stay with that, you'll see that it will end on its own. At some point, and then there's a relief. so the more we can do that then the more that, that the power of that craving is, is worn away because it's not, uh, forf- it's not gratified each time. And also with aversion, if we just react you know aversively to anything that we don't like, then we're strengthening that. Stream of aversion in our mind and as I said you know, the, the realm of samsara this, this uh, realm of uh, birth and death that we are in it is imperfect so if we, uh, if we have a mind that's looking for what's wrong we will always find it we will never be short of things to complain about there will always be something wrong because the realm is made that way so we can focus on that and have a miserable life and make everybody else miserable or we can focus on, well, we can, we can look at what is wrong and, and see how can I transform that? How can I bring something that's beneficial to that? And we can look at what's good, what's, uh, what's already beneficial. And we can look at the changing nature of all of it. This realm is made up of both. It's made up of duality. It is a dual realm that we live in. It's made up of good and bad, pleasure and pain, success and failure. That's how, it's, that's how it is. And then there is the knowing. There is the awareness, the, the sati, the mindfulness, that knows all of it. And that is not affected by any of it. So, the more we strengthen that sati, that knowing, that awareness, the less we're, s- we're swept around by the, the gains and losses, pleasures and pains, the uh, desires and aversions that arise in our mind. And the more strength we have to meet life as it is and to transform the habits of the mind into really wholesome action, wholesome thought, wholesome speech, wholesome action. So uh, you know, the Buddha, he recognised our potential as human beings, and he took the trouble 40 years of teaching, walking barefoot from place to place teaching, to awaken us to our true potential. And he did, you know, give guidance in terms of of living, how to live in a skilful way, and so it's it's both active and internal, you know, how to transform our internal world, gradually, gradually, so that we're no longer operating out out of old conditioning, old habits, old beliefs, but we're meeting what's happening in this present moment, and we're, Seeing our reaction to it, is it fearful, is it angry, is it retracting, is it greedy, is it uh, confused? So the first thing is to really see it, see what what are we meeting our experience with at any moment and then how can we meet that? We can meet aversion with kindness, within ourselves, oh there's that old conditioning, Aversive reaction. Have a bit of kindness around it. Don't immediately react from it. Or greed. You know, just it's a little bit like a, keeping the reins on a wild horse. You know. You've just got to use a lot of strength, a lot of uh, determination. But as you do, then gradually it gets more tame, more calm. And with confusion, sometimes it just takes a lot of patience, a lot of patience and, and awareness to see the confused mind as confused and just to know it as that and not to try and act immediately when the mind is confused it's best not to if you can so if there's a lot of cloudiness or or doubt or confusion recognising, okay, this is confusion it's not who and what I am it is confusion that's, that's like a cloud or a fog passing through the mind at this time and it's, it will change. So, awareness, sati, mindfulness, is the in a way the, the refuge, which is the place that isn't affected by any of these things but knows all of it. It knows the confusion, it knows the ending of confusion, it knows greed and the ending of greed, it knows aversion and the ending of. <coughs> And it's very important also to pay attention to when any of these conditions end. Because if we don't notice that, then we'll just be on to the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing, and that's that critical mind again. So we really, it's very important to uh, notice, so maybe greed is arising, it's getting time for a meal, feeling hungry, maybe there's that feeling, and then, but is there aversion? No. There's no aversion. Is there confusion? maybe a little bit of confusion, and so just sort of knowing it like that, and so if there's no aversion present, having a real sense of rejoicing in the absence of aversion, or if, uh, if you're feeling quite calm and peaceful, there's no particular sensual of desire going on, there's no aversion, you're not particularly confused, oh, that's good, you know, there's the absence of all of these states. So to to make much of that, I think we miss that. We tend to look at what's wrong, what's Mm -hmm. missing, or what we should be or could be. And we miss the the already present goodness, you know, clarity, wholesomeness that is already Mm -hmm. here. So uh, just make times in the day, you know, each day, to notice the absence of, maybe when you first go to sit, meditation, noticing the absence of greed, the absence of hatred, the absence of confusion, or the presence of those, and knowing that it's not who and what you are, if they're present, it's not who and what you are, you are not an angry person, you are not a, a greedy person, you are not a confused person, but these states arise, they can be strong, they can have strong tendencies, but they arise and they cease, and we can transform them. So I think that's enough for me to say this morning.